Welcome to the National Council of Supervisors of Mathematics, NCSM, Leadership in Mathematics podcast. NCSM is an organization supporting mathematics education leadership at the school, district, college, university, state, province, and national levels. Its membership constitutes an international force collaborating to achieve excellence in mathematics education. Be sure to visit the NCSM website at ncsmonline.org. Welcome to Episode 5 in the series of podcasts recorded at the NCSM 39th Annual Conference in Atlanta, Georgia, March 19th through the 21st, 2007. In this episode, Steve Linewan shares five practical research-based instructional strategies that every supervisor needs to be able to advocate for and model. Steve will be introduced by the West Region 2 Director, Cheryl Avalos. Tune into episode 6 for weaving key professional development strategies for optimum learning and sustainable leadership by Lucy West. And now, Steve Leinwand. I'm Cheryl Avalos and I'm the Western 2 Regional Director for NCSM. And it's my privilege today to introduce a past president of NCSM, Steve Leinwand. Steve probably doesn't need an introduction. I have to tell you the last session that I was in, had one of Steve's problems as something that they used as uh, part of their institute. Which one? <laughs> in Kansas. <laughs> oh, which problem? The McDonald's problem. Okay, so that's the problem that they used in the very last session that I was in. And I know that um, you want to hear Steve, and so what I would like you to do in page, on page 34 in your book is to take a look at his bio, and you can see all of the things that he's done. He's an author, he's been on NCTM Board of Directors, he's a research analyst and heads an assessment team. So you can see all the things that he's done there. So what I'd like you to do is get out your notepads and get ready because I know this is gonna be fast and furious. Steve. Thank you. Good afternoon. So. I need to get serious for just a moment. Because gang, last year I did my thing, turned my computer off, went and sat out there, and up came John, and he did his thing. And everybody who was in both those sessions said it was like yin and yang. It was like bookends. Um, John and I served on the NCTM board together. We didn't agree on a whole lot because I'm a radical change agent and John is, was, a very conservative, methodical researcher. Except in the last two years, John became a radical, thanks to Gracie. John became a radical when he watched what traditional math was doing to his own granddaughter. And the most amazing thing at John's funeral was a first grade teacher who simply stole the show. And so wherever he is, John, this talk is dedicated to you. <laughs> Gang, the, the, the good news is that we have the answers. The bad news is that we have the answers. The fact is, when you have the answers, it's a matter of why the heck aren't we doing them? And so today's talk really stops and says, look, if we have the answers, then the leadership function is 
to take advantage of those answers and find ways to implement them. Everyone in this room knows that it works better in K-1 than it does anywhere else. Those kids love math, they're having a ball, they're learning tons of stuff, they come out of there and they have a sense of joining and separating. Alan Schoenfeld's research says those kids do not mimic nonsense. They understand that the tax, not a first grader, but they understand that the tax on an $11 shirt can't be $175, which is what sixth graders tell us. We know that reading classes work better than math classes and that kids are much more literate than they are quantitative and mathematical. We know that gifted programs work far better than traditional programs and we know that most math remedial programs are god awful. We also know when we walk up and down the hall of any school which classrooms we want our own kids to be in. We, you can smell it. You don't have to be in a class for more than five minutes and you know that there are thinking classes, there are question classes, there are active classes. And so today is about reminding us that when all is said and done, it's what happens when we close the classroom doors in this country and what happens between teacher and student. It's instruction, stupid, and there are ways that we can attend to instruction. There are ways that as the leaders, we need to invite people into our classrooms. There are ways that we need to do demonstration classes. There are ways that we need to publicize the non-negotiable behaviors. And so gang, I think our job is to extract what we know, extract from those places and those experiences the specific strategies that can be employed broadly and regularly to raise achievement, to improve instruction, and to make a difference. Go. One, two, three, four, five, six. Let's go. No, I'm here. Write them down. Come on, gang. This is now fifth period. This is your quiz. One, two, three, four, five, six. Every, raise your hand if you do not have a pen or a pencil. Wonderful, you are the only people excused. Raise your hand if you do not have any paper to write on. That's great, let's go, one to six. Come on, gang, you're worse than the kids. Number one, what is six times seven? Excuse me. Like every teacher in this country right now on the East Coast, I am trying to coax the blood out of your digestive system back into your nervous system. I have fifth period and the kids are going, oh God, what a day, and it's been a long day. And you're tired and they're tired. And by now you know that it's a six question mini-math. By now you know that I have six questions and that they're all going to be both oral and written. By now you know that I read every question twice, but I don't always read it the same way. And all I care about is what you write on this piece of paper. You with me? I love to see which kids have to write six and seven, and which ones go right to the answer. Number one, what is the product of six and seven? Who needs more time? Wonderful. Number two, what number is 1,000 less than 18,294? Oh, you really got me teed off last week with that place value stuff. We taught that in August. We taught that in September. What is the pro... Well, we'll see if you've learned anything. No better than that. We'll see if Mr. L has taught you anything. We'll see if Mr. L will sleep well tonight because we are moving ahead. What number is 1,000 less than 18,294? Raise your hand if you need more time. Awesome. Number three, about how Mr. L went into the store, he bought two items. One was 32 cents, one was 29 cents. And the question is, about how much did Mr. L spend? For those of you who hate story problems, I'll make it very easy. Number three, about how much is 32 cents and 29 cents? Questions, questions. 
I see none. Number four, what is one-tenth of 450? This is the only question I need to see how well you do on to decide where to start teaching today's class. You know that today's class depends upon the fact that I do or don't have to spend 12 minutes on multiplying and dividing by 10, 100, 1,000. You all know that. Number four, what is one-tenth of 450? Number five, the pictorial daily double of the day. Would you please, next to number five, draw a picture that a normal human being could look at and say, oh my god, look at that. There is a picture of one and two-thirds. Boys and girls, you know what we call that in the teacher's room? We wonder if our class, our students, can create a pictorial representation of the mixed number also known as one and two-thirds. And I wander around as Priscilla shades in her circle, and Bobby is worried about his rectangles divided into three unequal pieces. And finally, since I'm a complete compulsive measurement nut, because measurement sucks everywhere, every state assessment program, every name, and what do we do about it? We're supposed to be leaders. We know measurement sucks. So what do we do about it? Every single day, there's a measurement problem. Boys and girls, I'll give you a hint. I weigh 193 pounds. What's my weight to the nearest kilogram? Go. I love the body language. No, I don't do metric. Who needs more time? No conversion tables. I'll give you a hint. It's more than 50 and less than 10,000. If you leave number six blank, you get a zero for the entire quiz. You are better off putting in 10,000. Put in an answer right now. Four, three, two, one. Switch papers. Switch papers. How many of you are in school systems where you're not allowed to let the kids switch papers? Oh, amazing. I hear more and more that somehow it destroys self-esteem. Number one, I have 42. Who has an answer other than 42? Oh, this is unbelievable. How many times do you hear, everything be fine if only they knew their facts? You know how rich I would be if I had a dollar for every time a teacher walks into a teacher's room in this country and says, they don't know their facts. They don't know their facts. They're getting dumber and dumber and dumber. So we take affirmative action. You're right. Some of the kids don't know their facts. Guess what? There's a fact a day. There's a fact a day until every kid knows the facts. Boys and girls, tomorrow, the first question on Mr. L's mini-math is going to be 9 times 6. What's the answer tomorrow to the first question? What's the, what's the answer? 54, exactly. If the kids can remember it for 24 hours, there's a chance that they can memorize it for a week and then longer than that. And so I tell them what it's going to be. 1,000 less than. I have 17,294. What did I change? What did I not change? Right? 32. Help me with this. Look at the paper in front of you, which hopefully is not your own paper. Raise your hand if you have 62. Wonderful. Full credit. Oh, that pisses some people off. Raise your hand if you have 61. Look at all the 61s in the room. Every teacher bone in your body now wants to trash the 61s because you said, about, I said, find an estimate. How many of you have 60? Who has an answer other than 60, 61, or 62? Amazing. What do you have, 50? Yell it out. 
37, wonderful. So I have one wrong answer in the class. Don't tell me that we don't accept wrong answers. I mean, the fact is, wrong answers are wrong answers. But wait a second, I'm not sure you see what's going on here. We live in a world where estimation is the way in which smart kids show that they're smart. You know that they outsmart the test. They estimate and they, redu they, re they, they eliminate the two stupid answers. You know that the weaker kids are told estimation is the same kind of procedure as doing the computation in the first place. And you guys need to help people understand that only a moron rounds 32 to 30, rounds 29 to 30 to get 60 when anyone with half a brain says 29 is 30, 30 and 32 is 62. Where, when did God say that if it ends in a two, it's not an estimate? So I just think that we have this opportunity to model these things. I weigh 190, I'm jumping to the end. We know what 110 to 450 is. We have the picture. We talk about different ways of doing the picture. I weigh 193 pounds. There are 2.2 pounds in a kilogram. I weigh about 86 kilograms. Any answer in this room between 50 and 120, early in the year, full credit. Grade the paper and hand it back. Look what I've done. You and I know that we've trashed John Saxon for 25 years, living or dying. You and I know that John Saxon's claim to fame is ongoing cumulative review. You and I know that you don't build ongoing cumulative review into most homework assignments. Walk into any class, and I've sat in a whole bunch since September, and on the board is exactly what's always on the board. Page 341, 1 to 19 odd. That's the task and skill for today. So the kids have 10 opportunities to practice something that either they know or don't know after three. And then we have page 307, which is yesterday's or the day before's unit. And we have the even numbers, right, in some way. And then we never revisit it. You all know that what was taught two weeks ago is lost for most kids. And so it's common sense. Doug Grouse and Tom Good a long time ago talked about ongoing cumulative review. Saxon showed that even when you take, there's no nice way to put this, Saxon-like content, how's that for politic, <laughs> and you build in ongoing cumulative review, and so I remind you that almost no one masters something new after one or two lessons or one or two homework assignments. That's why one of the most effective strategies for fostering mastery and retention of critical skills and concepts is daily cumulative review. It's five minutes. Some days it's two word problems on the board. Some days it's all oral. Some days it's just all estimates. But in fact, we sit there and have a fact of the day until the kids know their facts, a term of the day. We do a picture of the day, an estimate of the day. We build in representations. We pause and say, damn. Two days ago, the kids were incapable, as they always are, of remembering that they were 16 ounces and a pound. Well, guess what? Three days later, I say, how many ounces are in two pounds? Three days after that, I say, whoa, you're not going to believe this. But we had twins, and they weighed 48 ounces. How many pounds of twins did I have? I mean, those are the ways in which anyone can keep things on target, manage the issue of mastery of the stuff. Just look at this. If you think about five minutes times 180 days, you've got 900 minutes that we're talking about. You know that 900 minutes is 15 hours. You know that you can change the world in 15 hours. But why is the 15 hours so important, right? That's half the college course. 
I mean, now I know that that's not very impressive. You say, well, I didn't learn anything in a whole damn 30 hours, so what am I going to learn in half? But you know what? Think about tutoring. Is it not blow your mind that you can take a kid and in 10 one-hour sessions cover an entire Algebra 1 course and do it well? So in fact, this five minutes a day gives us the equivalent of one hour a week of tutoring for a semester in ways that make a substantive difference. What's to stop us from doing this? Answer, as you well know, only will. So we walk in, we model it. We walk in and we demonstrate it. That's a lot of time. Yes, it is. Good morning, boys and girls. We are now reading together. Strategy number two. On your mark, get set, go. Very good. Could you try that one more time? We are now in a mediocre reading class with a basal reading program not approved by Reading First. What is the very next question that is asked of the kids, or the first question? But of course, I mean, what else would you possibly ask but, hello, who went to the store? Who, who went to the store, by the way? Jane, very good. What's the next question? Where did Jane go? Look at how smart you see. You may be math nerds, but you understand the way we teach reading. It's very clear. Jane went to the store. Where did she go? Who went to the store? Do we stop there? Reading language arts in low-level classes never stops there. What's the next thing on the board? Not what did she buy. We really don't know that, but we want to know why did she go to the store? Raise your hand if you know exactly why she went to the store. Do you know how much better math would be if we asked some of those why questions where we weren't sure what the answer was? Kids had no problem saying she needed cigarettes. They ran out of milk, right? They needed bread, right? I mean, they have an amazing array of answers. Excuse me, but you understand that all that brain research says. I mean, you know, we, it's cocktail party stuff, right? As far as I'm concerned, most of the brain research fits into the ASCD, who cares? Another administrator is going to ram stupidity down my throat column. That's not nice, but it actually is the real world. Except for one small problem. The brain research says that when you ask kids these higher order questions, it stimulates the brain cells. It builds neural connections. And people actually can see it happening now. And so you wonder about why kids learn to read better. Does it ever stop there? Remedial kids are now asked. That's right, the evaluative question. Do you think it made any sense for Jane to go to the store under these circumstances? I'm not sure you understand what I'm doing. Emily, your homework? Good. Nice work. Tony? No, oh, good. Very nice. Boys and girls, number one, 19. Any questions? I didn't think so. Right, number two, 37.5. I don't know why you're laughing. You know damn well if the shoe fits, wear it. You want to change the quality of instruction? People tell you they don't have enough time to do what we're asking them to do? Look at 1 to 19 odd and 10 consummately wasted minutes day in and day out because it's the way I was taught. It's the way we've always been taught. It's the guaranteed way to see to it that a few kids survive and everyone else dies on the vine. You know that. I know that. It's our job to pause and say that there's something fundamentally out of sync between this sensible way of doing reading. Kids sitting there going, you get questions? What kid's going to ask a question? They got it right. They're wasting their time. They just check it. They got it wrong. They cross out 37.6 and they make it 37.5. They're not stupid. Number three. 
You talk about our process standards. No why, no how do you know, no alternative approach, no who has a different answer. None of the things that stimulate neural connections. And so I say to you, strategy two. They're not stupid over there in reading. They understand that they incorporate in literal, Jane. Inferential, huh. I think that it's because, but I'm not sure. It's asking questions that don't have a specific answer. And evaluative comprehensions and analog in math is, does that make any sense? Excuse me, the mantra in every single class ought to be, good math begins with an answer, often the wrong answer. Good math begins with an answer when you say, huh, that's interesting, where'd that come from? You all know that the best demonstration classes you can do is walk in or you're sitting in the back observing and all those kinds of things. Excuse me. Look, the last slide will have my email address back on it. The first one did. It's in the booklet, okay? This presentation is on all my computers, okay? Obviously, just you send me an email, okay? It's, 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 it's simple. You get all the slides. It's, I mean, that's the way we do things, okay? So just so you know, you want to take notes, fine but I just think that you may want to listen and play and know that you can get them. The evaluative comprehension analog, comprehension analog is, is it reasonable? How do you know? Convince me in some particular kind of way. And so I think that you see, once again, something as simple as modeling from reading, something as simple as ongoing cumulative review, both speak to the vision of instruction we have and both pay high benefits and neither of them is widely practiced. Tell the person sitting next to you five things you see on Mr. L's board. Five things. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, as you well know, this country is increasingly non-English. As you well know, the mathematics that is necessary is supported by language. And you know so well that the simplest, easiest way to take the kids that are just below proficient and move them to proficient is to attend to the fact that they didn't know five terms. You know they know the math. If they didn't know the math, they would be at basic. They'd be below basic. So in other words, a strategy to, to help move the test scores, which is what we still have to do, but to me, raising the test scores actually does relate to a few kids knowing some more math. And so if we had a smaller room, we'd go around. I hear two numbers. I would write it down. I'm going to write every one of these down, but you have to envision that I'm putting them on the board. Two odd numbers, a difference of 10, 136. I see a pattern, 5343. I see my grandparents, I see my parents, I see my last two test scores, I see the temperature, I see a three in both of the ones place. I see that if you add the digits in the top, you get 10, in the next one you get nine, in the next one under that you'll probably get eight. I see kids that tell me I see a period, no it's a dot, no it's a decimal point. I see five words, I see four E's. I often do this with a transparency, which I can't do now, because you can't do it with a transparency, and I cover up part of this stuff, which I don't think I can do uh, if, if it was focused. Kids say I see a right angle, because geometrically covering it up gives you a right angle. I go, whoa, that's unbelievable. Raise your hand if you saw something else. And then we start with the debrief. What, what did you see? 
You saw 13 on the bottom, exactly. There's another number there. My God, there's a third three because you have 13 as the slide number, which is really amazing. We now debrief. Convince me they're both odd. Kids say it ends in a three. You know that that's the point at which we deal with what makes them odd is not that they end in three, but you can't divide them evenly by two. To which I then say, oh yeah? 31 and a half, 31 and a half is 63. And we get into that wonderful discussion, a la Deborah Ball's discussion of odd and even. But the question is, what's odd? How do we know? You know how hard it Let me take you on a trip down memory lane. We are in high school geometry, and we are being told that the projection of the leg of the right triangle onto the hypotenuse is the mean proportional between the length of the leg and the length of the entire hypotenuse. And if you are normal, even to this day, you are sitting there going, Bleh! it means nothing. So now take a fourth grader and tell the kid that there are two two-digit numbers. What? Two, two what? Two, 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 two. Which two? Two, two digits. That's not so easy. The language becomes critical, and so I see that I have four digits. No, I have three unique digits if I don't count the 13 on the bottom. No, I have two two-digit numbers. There's a difference of 10. Convince me there's a difference of 10 when the kids put it on the board. I got one kid saying 64, 65, 67, 68, 69. I go, is that the only way to do it? No, you subtract them, you jerk. OK, any other ways? The other kid says you add 10. I go, I don't understand. How can you subtract and how can you add? Do you see what I'm doing? I'm teaching alternative approaches. I'm playing to the fact that kids learn in different ways, but it all builds off of this sense of trying to build a language-rich classroom. Every time we have numbers, every time there's a problem, every time there's a word problem, the numbers become an opportunity to deal with language. And this issue of kid says, of course it's 10 apart. One kid says 63 lives upstairs from 73 in the hundreds chart. Another kid says, no, they're 10 apart because the tens digits are one apart and the huge digits are the same. And look what happens when we all learn from those things and deal with the stuff, right? Actually, it's not my grandparents. This is March Madness time. You're not going to believe this, gang, but that is actually the last time the South Carolina Gamecocks beat the North Carolina Tar Heels, honest to God. It was 63-63 with four minutes to go. What happened in the last four minutes? That's right, South Carolina scored 10 unanswered points. How'd they do it? And out of nowhere, I go from two stupid numbers to a word problem that has to do with how many different ways can I score 10 unanswered points. Tell me what you see. Oh my god, I have sixth graders. You want to talk to me about sixth graders and fractions? You want to talk to me about mixed numbers, improper fractions? Is that 21 fourths? Is that 2 and 1 fourth? What is it equivalent to? It's the same thing. I play with, tell me what you see. Give me an equivalent. Give me another equivalent to that. I was at Staples High School last May. I came back and we watched the videotape of one of the teacher's classes. It was unbelievable. She simply put on the board f of x equal x squared plus 3x minus 5 and said to the kids, tell the person sitting next to you three things you see. I go, what is she doing in my workshop? It was awesome. She then says, tell me what you see, and she starts writing it down. Gang, 
Just look at how much language there is when kids see a function, a quadratic function, a squared term, a constant term, a linear term. I see a big U that opens up, but it's not really a U. I see an equal sign. I see, and it goes on and on. I see a coefficient. I stop and pause and say, I can't teach this if we don't attend to the fact that the language is critical. You know that a language-rich curriculum, look at this, I want to scream. It's like you're writing down number three, create a language-rich curriculum. What you're doing is you're basically making a mockery of this whole talk. <laughs> you cannot go back and hand out this crypt sheet. Do you hear me? You have to ask for the presentation, and you have to make it your own. You have to change the slides, which we all can do, to the problems that you like. But you cannot say, what do I go and review? That'll make all the difference, without going in and showing it. Walk into a class and videotape it, you doing it in a second grade class, in a fourth grade class, in a sixth grade class. Five minutes, five minutes, and five minutes. Then show your kid, your colleague, show the people that count on you for leadership what that looks like. Walk into a class and put that on the board. Put a ratio on the board and say, what do you see? We've been playing with ratios and percents in Hillsborough and in Tampa, this, in Hillsborough is Tampa, and in Worcester this past year. It's so awesome. There are two kids who walk for every five kids who take the bus to get to school in the morning. Write five sentences that are all different based upon that data. Express it as a fraction, express it as a ratio, what's part to part, what's part to whole. And after all that stuff, propose how many kids are in the school and how many walk and how many. You understand what I'm doing? I am taking the language and embedding it with my vocabulary, my terms, my answers, my explanations. Like all languages, gang. Mathematics, I mean, we talk all the time. Mathematics is a language. Mathematics is a language of patterns. We never model that. You know, it's about, you know, cross out the nine and go put it in there or something. Like all languages, mathematics must be encountered orally and in writing. Like all vocabulary, mathematical terms need to be used again and again, in context, linked to more familiar words. That's how we learn. I have been the food shopper in whatever family I've been a part of for almost 30 years. I love food shopping. I love the supermarket. And so I, and now I'm the cook and the food shopper, so it's even more fun. You know, I mean, my warped lifestyle, if the cilantro is $6.99, I don't give a damn. I want cilantro. I'm getting cilantro, right? I'm only going to use half of it. I don't care. I'm going out of town. I want the cilantro. It's a sickness. I got to tell you that. Whole Foods has me by the short hairs somewhere. You listen at Whole Foods to the upper middle class parents. They're all in their late 30s and early 40s with their infants, and they just chatter. I think we're going to get the uh, organic pasta tonight. Well, you know, this is the organic. This is the rigatoni. And then, and they're, they're just babbling. They're not on a cell phone. They're talking in this little bubbling head in a, sne in, a, in, a, in a thing. And you sit there and go, there you go, gang. How do the smart kids get smarter? They get smarter because we make it a language-rich interaction where area is covering and perimeter is border. You know how many people remember that 7 times 8 is 56 because some fifth grade teacher said, I just think five, six, seven, eight as a memory device. You know how many kids, some of you in this room are saying, how did he know? Others of you are saying, you know how many people remember that my belt is my circumference? My belt is my girth, and that's the way I remember what circumference really means. I think that we know that we do not pay enough attention to language. I think you know that word walls are indispensable. 
You have an issue with ELL. It is not an easy solution. There are major, major issues about dealing with kids who have very limited English. But what we know is that in a class that's working, you have denominator, fraction. You have the fraction in a picture. You see 7 over 5. You have A over B. You have denominator in English and denominator in Spanish sitting there with an arrow to the denominator. You have a circle, and the circle is sitting there, and it says circle in Spanish, whatever word that is. And then there's an arrow to the radius in English. And when the kids are bored, they're looking up there. When I talk about, so the radius is 7. You either have a mindset that says that's cheating, or you have a mindset that says that's what helps kids learn. And that's, I think, the challenge we face. We know the answers to so many of these things. Ready? Set. In your mind's eye right now, I want you to picture three quarters. You see them? Raise your hand if you do not have a picture of three quarters. It's because you're sleeping. Good. Erase the picture. Replace it with a second different picture of three quarters. Wonderful. So I have this amazing group of smart, mathematically literate people. Three quarters. Watch this. How many saw? 25 cents, 25 cents, 25 cents. Saw money. Thank God. Look at all the hands, okay? Thank God for money. I'll come back to that. How many saw three over four in its abstract splendor? See, even the nerds of the world don't see it abstractly. You understand that that's the last way you're going to picture it. All right, you did the, th the, the, the thing with it one and two thirds. So obviously, you saw pizza pies, and I talked about shaded circles. How many saw a pizza pie or a rectangle and all that stuff with three quarters pepperoni? If you look around the room, half the people have now got both their representations out on the table. How many saw four octopuses or four beach balls, and three of them were a different color or striped? Look around the room, and you see about six hands. Do you know why multiplication, division, and fractions is a nightmare? because neither the teachers nor the students understand that pizza pies is a very poor representation for multiplication, division, and fractions. Fractional parts of sets is a much more valid one. If you don't have access to that, you really flounder, and what do you have? You have a stupid rule. How many saw a number line, and here's zero, and here's one, and saw three quarters sitting almost to the, to the one? Look at that. How many saw a ruler? Here's the zero, here's an inch, and you saw the three quarters of an inch. You're all here, so you didn't cook last night, right? So you didn't have the sense of the measuring cup, right? Who saw a measuring cup and it was three quarters full? Why am I doing this? I'm doing this because every single person in this room has had the experiences of sitting there with five kids. Think money, Maria. Think money. Think money. Think money. And there's Cheryl. Bag is money. Ready? I don't think you understand what's going on here. Ready? It's not the one I want. Where is it? Oh, wait, here we go. Go! Let's start, get out of here. What's the answer? That's right, quiet. Okay, so fine, forget that one. What's the answer? Does it not blow your mind that when I say to you, $2.50, you sit there, no, you know what I'm doing here. For the average human being, when I make them fractions, you want to put one on top of the other. You're stymied because you have to put an equal sign in and change the denominators because that's what God said to do. I have you think about measuring tapes and rulers. I have you thinking about money, and you say 250, 450, less a quarter. So it works, and it works, and it works. Cheryl's sitting here and says, I don't get this. If you're honest with me, you and the teachers that you supervise get pissed at Cheryl. What should you do? What's your problem, Cheryl? It's your problem, it ain't my problem. You know where we're going. We're going to understand that never, ever 
are more than half the kids in a class processing the math the same way the teacher is. And that's why representations was missing the first time around and is the major shift in our professional standards in the last decade. It's an understanding that it's how you picture it. And it's when Cheryl says, well, why didn't you tell me to use a measuring cup? Of course, I got two and a half cups of flour and a cup of 75 is, is it's four and a quarter. It, it works, it makes sense. And so if I go back, we have this idea of look at the power of the representations. I don't believe you have to be mathematically genius to be able to teach in ways that draw on other representations. I think you need some nudging. I think you need some help. But we need to put that into action. Ready? Show me with your hands, 20 centimeters. Let's go. Oh. Wonderful. I walk in my room, now the wonderful question. The issue here is there's got to be more than one way. The modeling that makes a difference, what takes the smart kids and helps them inform the weak kids, what has the weak kids' natural sense of mathematics that they can use and draw upon if they're allowed, inform the other kids, is this discussion that now goes where one kid sits there and says, one, two, three, four, five, right? You know that. God said my pinky is a centimeter, so I got 10 and 10. No, 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 no. I know that my finger is a decimeter, two of them, there it is. That's a yard. No, it's a meter. That's 100 centimeters. A half is 50. That's 25. There's 20. No, wait a second. That ruler, what's the, those big units on the ruler? What are they called? Inches. And what number is down at the far end? 12. Is that, why are there 12? Come on, gang. I mean, I think you know the answer. Why are there 12 down there? Because that's what makes a foot. That's how many inches there are in this thing we call a ruler. If I turn it upside down, what number is down at this end opposite the 12? It's called 30. No, zero is right. Yes, it is zero. But on the other side, it's 30. And so the kid sits there and goes, I don't know, but I'm bored to death. I know that super ruler has 12 and 30. Oh, 20. 30, 20. All these different ways of doing it. What am I doing? I'm saying that, draw pictures. The representations alien to people. The fourth strategy says if we create mental images, if we foster visualization, my God, it cycles back around. Every single day there is a pictorial representation on Minimath so that when I say two-thirds, when I say point one, when I say a foot, I have ways of having kids construct those kinds of, of, of images. Show me with your hands, eight inches. Show me with your fingers, about ten square, square inches. Show me 10 inches square. Draw three different pictures of two and a half. Picture 1.2, describe your picture. Those are the ways that you can inform the process. Those are the ways you can sit in a class and say, hold on, missed opportunity, watch. And when we videotape ourselves coaching, we find how we can improve our coaching and we have little snippets that we can use that take us beyond just the one experience and give us the fodder to allow us to use with tens and hundreds of people. So let's put it all together. Because ladies and gentlemen, what Tim's and the Stigler video studies say so clearly is you know how we can guarantee that mathematics will continue to work for no more than 40% of the kids. We have a cultural script and let there be no mistake about it. The cultural script says, good morning, boys and girls. Far too many teachers have been disgustingly hunterized, and they believe that they are going to be marked down if they don't put the behavioral objective on the board. When you put the behavioral objective, today's objective is to find the surface area of right circular cylinders, you've lost half the kids right there. You know that. Obviously, I'm in 
a seventh grade geometry unit or in a 10th grade geometry class. There's no difference. It's like we didn't learn it the first time, so we'll teach it again. How do I know that I am in a class that is like the way it's supposed to be? I have the pages in the book. I have the perfect right circular cylinder sitting in the missionary position with integral radii and, and, and height. God forbid I put units on there. I have the formula. I mean, you wouldn't want to twist it and call it barrels of hazardous waste. You wouldn't want to have it to be a straw or a CD or any kind of real circular cylinder. It has to be the Campbell's soup can, right? And then raise your hand, my friends, if you can't wait to plug the three and the four into that formula to find an answer that no one in the planet cares about, so you laugh, but we need to hold up those mirrors. We need to show that that approach is the way in which you either loved it or hated it. It is the way that it worked for you until all of a sudden memorization regurgitation no longer worked. It is the mathematics that will not allow us to compete. Can we be clear? The real message that we have to leave here understanding in our bellies is that we're asking the mathematics teachers of this country to do two things that have never, ever, ever been done before. One, teach in distinctly different ways from how you were taught. Are we clear that there is no existence proof that any generation of teachers have been able to make that kind of a cosmic shift and teach in distinctly different ways from how they were taught? And number two, not only that, but the reason why we're being asked to teach in distinctly different ways is we are being asked through the absurd, impossible, statistical impossibility of no child left behind to make math work for all kids by 2014. So fine, wipe out the stupidity of the politics and listen to what we profess. We profess that all kids can learn to read and we act on that profession in many, many ways. It is unconscionable, you all know that, that we don't find a way to see to it that far more kids develop an understanding and a mastery of mathematics. It can't be done the same old way. And so gang, we need to help people see that there's another way of putting it together. Good morning, my bright-eyed, bushy-tailed seventh graders. You're in luck, right? So I'm Ethan, my baby cut himself really badly. So we race over to the emergency room. I hate this hospital. I hate these doctors. They won't let me in the back. Ethan's being stitched up. And it's, you know, I mean, need I tell you, hospital emergency rooms are voyeurs paradises. Anyone in this room that thinks they have some sense of the cultural diversity of your community, you do not. The mall and the school cafeteria are not diverse. The motor vehicle department and the ER is diversity. And so we have overheard in the ER, I'm sitting there wondering what's going on. Oh my God, look at this next one. The sirens are blaring, he's completely burned from head to toe. Not a problem, says the other nurse, just order up a thousand square inches of skin from the graft bank. Today's lesson is going to be to find the surface area of a right circular cylinder. <laughs> Versus, now I'm sitting there and I, what does is, what is a mathematical nerd do under this circumstance? Right, a thousand squinches of skin. Oh my God. Either it's good enough or it's not good enough. And so, I mean, oh good, that'll, that'll work. Or, oh my God, right? We're in deep trouble. This hospital is as bad as I thought. Boys and girls, we are now entering sixth period. You have four questions. 
You have four minutes working with the people around you. Which response, oh good, oh God, is more appropriate too? Remember, you are the patient, it's not some little kid. Explain how you got it. Wait a second, you want to be sure they order up enough skin, how much should you order up? And tell me how you got that. Are there any questions? Good, you have four minutes, go. This is so perfect. It's all right for you to tell kids to do the math. It's all right for you to tell the teachers to do the math in your workshops. Do the math. Tell me if it's enough. That's right, I'm serious. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, it's you. Is, is it you? Yes. There's enough. Yep. You didn't know. So, um, question number one, my friends. The question I think we ought to ask kids all the time. Why the heck did you care? You see, when the kids tell us, I cared because it could have been me. I cared because I had to work with these other kids. I cared because I never thought about how much skin I have. I, I cared because, I don't know, I mean, I don't want to be burned. Right? I mean, you cared. And then there are people in this room that did it simply because I told you to do it. And then there are people in this room that won't do it no matter what. And you know what? We just ignore that. Part of my message is when you do triage, we know that 20% of the people we work with are doing it all without any of our assistance. Get out of their way. 20% of the people aren't going to do it no matter what the hell you do. Get them to a different school or a different district, gang, and worry about how the middle 60% get to model and get to learn from the top 20%. That is what a good leader does. And a good leader sits there and says, so why did you care and how do I know? What math did you do? Good. Oh good or oh God, here we go. Oh good, there's enough. Oh God, no way. Good, and the only two words that can come out of my mouth right now if I'm following the standards, if I know what good instruction is, convince me. So the kids sit there and go, okay, Mr. L, really easy, okay? We started with our thumb and went one, two, three. By the way, when I do this with principals, they almost always start with a postage stamp approach. They get to about 30 and they go, hmm. So they take their hand, I love their hand, right? And they say that it's six by four and they call that 25. One, two, three, four hundred. One, two, three. And they very quickly figure out, you know, with the hand that they need more than a thousand. Kids say, stand up, Mr. L. I go, okay, I'm standing. We're going to run a paintbrush, paint roller up and down the front of your body. I go, why are you doing that? Just shut up and get painted. I go, okay, I'm painted. Now what? They tell me to walk into the wall. It's great. There's service. You laugh. But there were three kids sitting there going, service area to paint on Mr. L. And I walk into the wall and I scream splat out. I go, what good is that? The kids say 70 by 18. That's 1,000 right there and we haven't gotten your back of your crotch. They understand those kinds of things in ways. You laugh. 
I've spent my entire career helping people understand that all measurement is referential. I don't know whether to be happy or sad, but um, we became grandparents last um, Sunday morning, which meant that the baby came a week early, which means that Anne comes in tomorrow night. She spent the entire week with the... I was at Anne's measurement talk because her latest Marilyn Burns book, Anne, my wife. Um, her latest Marilyn Burns book is on measurement. I have on my computer an unbelievably great talk on measurement in middle school that I was going to do because Anne was going to be away. Yeah. Now, we found out they were on exactly the same time on the program, and the baby came, enough of that, goodbye, and she'll be here to give her own talk. But, but I mean, I talk about measurement because it sucks. We know that. So we have all measurement is referential. What a powerful idea. Kids sit there and say, God said eight and a half by 11. Call it. How much closer do you want to get to 100? They sit there and go 100, 200, 300, 400, 500, 600, 700, 800, 900, 1,000. Kids sit there and say, wait a second. How many of you started with the, with the 1,000 and not with, the, um, not with the, the body? Isn't it amazing? We all start with the body, and I got a couple of skin, 1,000 square inches of skin. One kid says it's a, it's a roll of paper towel, 10 inches by 100 inches. And the kids see eight feet of paper towel. There ain't no way they're going to cover up their stuff with that, right? Other kids say 1,000 square inches. The square root of 1,000 is about 30, 32. They see 32 by 32. And it... then the kid sits there and says, yo, Mr. L, I know this is gross, but take that scalpel like on ER and stick it in your navel. I go, this is really getting gross. But you know where this is going. I go, and now you want me to sort of run it up to my neck, right? Is it okay if I only go in about a millimeter so I don't bleed too much? Oh yeah, we only care about you. You know where this is going. Why in God's name is the stupid formula 2 pi RH, except that the model for my body is also the right circular cylinder. And when I run the scalpel up, I open it up, and oh my God, it's a rectangle. And the height doesn't change, but as you, and I don't need to tell you what you already know, but look at how we take an engaging problem. Look at how we learn from what happens. Go back, go back, yes. Look at how we learn from, from what happens in Japan and other places, not as if it's the God-given answer, but gang, it is an alternative. And so I think the message here is that there is a role for mathematics that looks like, come on, Hello? Come on. There is a role for mathematics that looks like that. There is a time and a place to summarize it. There is a time and a place to talk about mathematics as the simplistic beauty of a formula and what those things mean. But I think well before that, our standards and our common sense says we have to help people see that there's more to it than that. And so we've got this whole thing together, and hello and goodbye. This is when you sit there and wish you had the old transparencies because you can do it much faster. And we know this one already and this one already and who cares and shut up. <laughs> so we ask people to choose because what we're really saying is very simple. On your mark, get set, go. That's right, that's exactly the right response. <laughs> You're never certain whether that sort of nervous laughter is going to make me do that in public, right? Or it's so absurd. Need I remind you how much what we do is predicated on preparing kids to do? Yours is not to reason why. Follow the procedure.
Is there a decimal on the outside, boys and girls? Oh, I'm a very ecstatically exciting, enthusiastic teacher. Is there a decimal on the outside? And there is. And, and to do this particular thing, what do I do to that decimal? I move it exactly. And which way do you think I'm going to move it, boys and girls? Or you move it to the right, exactly. What's the only question you would never, ever, ever, ever ask kids? Why, of course. Why would you ask kids why when you don't know the answer? Why would you ask kids why when the right answer is God said so? Or the right answer is so mathematically complex about equivalent fractions and multiplying numerator and denominator by 100 that it's absurd. But now it got it really cold, down cold. Now that you've moved the one on the outside for some reason that you don't understand, two places to the right, what do you do to the other one? What's every kid saying? What other one? Oh, that's right, the one that we manufacture. And so, gang, I think that we know that we are not going to move things ahead. We are not going to find ways to see math work for more kids until we recognize that in another class, we walk in with data. Look at that, the numbers are exactly the same. And it's as simple and as hard as pausing and saying what I'm going to ask you in a second. Which class do you want your own kid to be in? Which class do you want your nephews and nieces and brothers and sisters and all that stuff to be in? You want to be in the class of shut up and follow the rules of moving decimals to get an answer no one cares about? Or do you want to talk about you have 10 bucks and Big Macs for $1.59? What's the question? No, that's not the question. The question is, where am I? <laughs> that way I have everyone's at McDonald's, you jerk. Don't you know that, right? No, the question is, so? Excuse me. We all talk about data. We all talk about putting stuff in context. The important things with context is give them the context and not the stupid one question. There's the data. Because when all you do is say, how many Big Macs can I buy, you lose. Where am I? How much is a Big Mac? Ooh, that's literal comprehension. It works in reading, right? How much money do you have? Is that more than $5 or less than $5? Good, boys and girls, can I buy 10? I can't hear you, can I buy 10? Oh, that was quick. No computation, huh? Who knew I couldn't get 10 because your brain was flashing 1590, 1590? Let me see the 1590 noob nooped in the room. Come on, 1590. That's so wonderful. Those of you who screamed out no didn't think 1590. You didn't multiply by 10. You sat there and said, they're more than a dollar, you jerk. Dumbest kid in my class. Says, of course you can't get 10. They're more than a dollar, you jerk. What does that mean? Emily, if they were a dollar, you can do this, right? If they were a dollar, this is they, so hard for a They'd be $10. If they were a dollar and you had $10, you could get all of them. All of them. You get 10. But, help me, this is responsive reading. But, they're more than a dollar. Therefore, is it clear to you that never in a million years would it dawn on me that I'm doing inverse reasoning all because a kid says, Can I get 10? And we have these different answers and stuff like that? And so those are the kinds of things that we build a catalog of. Those are the kinds of little snippets. And then we wander around as coach, as leader, as demonstration class person, and say, it's not rocket science. It's when and where do normal human beings encounter the mathematics. Well, guess what? They encounter it here. And given the data, it's so. And so I ask you, look at the difference between the one right way to get an answer that no one cares about, right? It's not even on the Texas test, which means it can't be important, right? Versus where am I? I'm at McDonald's. 10? Convince me. Convince me you can't get 10. Right? About how many? I love it when kids say to me five. Dumbest kid in my class says, dollar for the night, call it two bucks, you can get five. Kid says, no, no, no. You got all that extra money, you can get a sixth one. Another kid says, wait a second, two of them for, for three dollars, four for, 
And therefore, do I tell kids they're doing proportional reasoning and equivalent fractions? I sure do. I put that on the board and I go, amazing, what a powerful problem solving skill that is. Right? Exactly how many can I get? And out comes the calculator. And I show that, in fact, I can divide. Of course I can divide. And I get this digital readout that's absurd. I can multiply and do the thing, you know, by trial and error. No, I can stick the $1.59 in and go plus, 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 plus. My God. A question that clearly is division gets solved by adding. No, I put the $10 in and I repetitively subtract the $1.59 to find out what I get. And then when I add tax, guess what happens? I can't get the sixth one and the dumbest kid in my class goes, I told you five. And it's so amazing. And so, gang, you choose. I mean, you know, I'm not going to do this, okay? You've seen this. If you haven't seen this, I'm going to do it very quickly. But, gang, there it is. Go do it. Oh, I just love this algebra. All right. It just seems that, that we need to pause. In 1989, George Bush Sr. and Bill Clinton, governor of Arkansas, and the um, president, the chair of the National Governors Association. National education goals. And they said math and science were going to be number one in the world by 2000. And we came to our NCSM meeting and just laughed. And we were right. We knew they wouldn't fund it. We knew they just had a bunch of blah, 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 blah. So about you know, 1994, we realized we weren't going to get there. We just changed the goals. We put the National Education Goals Panel out of business. But don't worry. We all understand that algebra is the foundation. And so goodbye, number one in the world by 2000. Hello, algebra for by 2000. And we came to our NCSM meeting and just laughed. And we were right. We knew they wouldn't fund it. We knew they just had a bunch of blah, 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 blah. So about you know, 1994, we realized we ain't going to get there. We just changed the goals. We put the National Education Goals Panel out of business. But don't worry. We all understand that algebra is the foundation. And so goodbye, number one in the world by 2000. Hello, algebra for all. And our insane friends in California that absolutely know nothing. Sorry, that's not fair. I'm, no, I shouldn't. I've been so good. Why did I do that? Our friends in California who decided that everyone should do Algebra 1 in eighth grade, right, made it only worse. So you realize that in this country now, we have not only not yet gotten all kids to algebra because we can't decide what algebra really is, and we certainly haven't got all kids in algebra in eighth grade, what do we do? Well, we have no child left behind that comes along in 2002 to tell us every kid, regardless of any of that stuff, will be proficient by 2014. And we've already dealt with that, and you understand that now people are beginning to realize that is not going to happen. So it has been replaced, as you are obviously aware, with the utter brilliance of mandating Algebra 2 for every kid as the essent indicator of the integrity of a high school diploma. It's an insane world, and we need to come together and laugh about it. We need to come together and say, if it's Algebra 1 and Algebra 2, we cannot do it. If it's algebraic thinking and it's statistics and it is models, we can do it. Because, gang, this is the mathematics of sorting kids out. This is the mathematics that I want to give every single solitary state board member and state legislator and member of Congress in this country. And then I want to ask them whether they want their kid to do that or they want their kid to deal with the speeding fine in Vermont. Exactly the same numbers. And then I'm going to ratchet it up. Because, gang, this is where we're at. Go ahead and do it. 
I want to ask every legislator to sit there and figure out some stupid rule, tell me that they have hair on their chests because they used to be able to do this and could find the log of the cockamamie thing. And then compare it to the mathematics that our standards talk about. The mathematics that says, when we embed the mathematics in context, when we embed the mathematics in problem situations, it's exactly the same problem, gang. And so whether we do McDonald's, the abstract skill versus the problem, or we do the algebra, or we do the pre-calculus, we see one way sorts kids out and another way brings kids to the table. And so my friends, which class do you want to be in? Strategy five couldn't be simpler. When we embed the mathematics in context, when we present the mathematics in problem situations, when we train ourselves and our teachers to ask when and where do normal human beings encounter the mathematics that I'm responsible for teaching. And last and most powerfully, it's not the sixth strategy because it's what I modeled the entire morning, the afternoon, the hour. It's because when all is said and done, the single most powerful change that we can bring to bear is why is the mantra. Never, ever, ever does a kid says it's isosceles, 17, the square root of four, without immediately being asked, where'd that come from? Really, why is that? Can you explain your reasoning? Can you convince the class? I sit, like you, in too many classes. 17, good, next problem please, square root of two, who cares? And so my friends, we could do Peter Dowdswell, but we don't have enough time for Peter Dowdswell. I should be able to just go to the end. I don't have any idea. There it is. <laughs> I told you it would be there. My friends, I'm going to leave that up. There's the recapitulation of the strategies. There's my email address. What a pleasure. You guys are being asked to do something even harder than the teachers we talked about. You're being asked to lead a revolution with far too little support, except our ideas, our courage, our willingness to take risks, and the other people in this room. What a pleasure. Love you. Tune in to episode six from Lucy West, weaving key professional development strategies for optimum learning and sustainable leadership.